Please enjoy this message from yours truly, James Martin. So, I can't come here and give you excellence of speech because I'm not an excellent speaker. <laughs> I'm not saying anything bad about myself. I just, I know that sometimes my words get twisted. But what I can offer you is what the King of Kings is speaking in my heart. So that's what I'm going to do today. Father, we thank you so much for your time with us, God, your presence in us, your presence on this earth, speaking to our hearts. Thank you so much that you inspire us in our hearts to speak words of life to each other, to other people, and to ourselves, God. I thank you, God, that you have come to give us life abundant, that in you we have peace, the peace between us and God. There is no separation. Thank you for tearing down the veil, God, that we would have direct access into your throne room, God. We just invite you, Lord, to come. You're already here, but I'm asking you to come on my words and speak the words of life that you have for this congregation. I thank you, Father, for your provision. I thank you for Pastor and Bunny. I just ask that there would be a blessing on them. And this time they would find rest and peace and joy. Joy with their family, in Jesus' name. I thank you for this church. We praise your name, God. Amen. So, open your book, your book, open the book of life, also known as the Bible, <laughs> to uh, Ephesians. If you're wondering what chapter, I'll let you know as soon as I get there. I'm going to go with uh, chapter 1. Good place to start. <clears throat> so first of all, in uh, verse 2, it says, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And I'm going to start there because I want you to have the grace of God in you today. And peace of God. As His Word comes to you, there's only one way to walk out the Word of God, and that's through His grace. There's only one way that we can be reconciled through the Father, and that's Jesus Christ. He made peace for you. So, Paul's not just saying a nice greeting, as I've mentioned before in a previous sermon. He is literally speaking the abundance of grace and peace, because what he's about to unfold, you're going to need those things to be able to get through. Verse 3, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Those promises are sure. He's given us every spiritual blessing. Just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. You have a father who was thinking about you from before the foundations of the world. Before he said, let there be light, he said, I'm thinking about you. Before he spoke into existence mankind, he was saying, I'm thinking about that guy right there, and that guy right there, and that lady. I'm thinking about each one of you from the foundation of the earth. And did you know that the Bible says he has more thoughts for us 
than there are grains of sand. Now, we all know that's pretty amazing. I mean, you just look at the beach, there's a lot of sand out there. You look inside the ocean, there's a lot of sand in the ocean. There's sand in mountains. There's sin now, you've thought, boy, the earth is full of sand. But have you considered the fact that he did not say sands in earth? He said sands. Now, maybe he had some designator there, I don't know, but think about it for a minute. We have a whole universe full of planets, full of sand. So how many thoughts does God have for you? And they are of good, right? They're for your benefit. He thinks of you that often. It's unfathomable. But all that really means is he's infinite. His thoughts for you are continuing on. And when's he going to stop thinking about you? When you get to heaven? No. He continues to think about you, each and every one of you. For eternity, we get to spend with him. So, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy without blame before him in love. Mm, that's good. Having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself according to the good pleasure of his will. It was his pleasing will to adopt us into the family to be sons and daughters of God. Right? Right? We are his children. This is where Paul starts because he wants to establish something. There's something you need to understand. See, see, there's something you need to understand. There's a deficit that came because the enemy is a thief. He comes to still kill and destroy. But the reason you have the provision already is because you are a child of God. Not just because God is good, but because you are a child. I want you to think about something. Maybe I've said this before. I feel like I have. Anyway, you know the verse about asking, seeking, knocking, you know? <clears throat> before that, it's preceded with a little story where Jesus talks about a friend comes to a house, and the friend is knocking on the door. I need some bread. I got guests coming. I need some bread. It's like midnight. He's like, dude, I'm in my house with my children. They're all safe and warm. I'm not coming to give you bread. And he keeps on... Pounding on the door, come on, man, I need some bread. This is paraphrased, if you didn't notice. And um, he says, because of his continual knocking, he gets up and he gets the bread for him, right? But the thing I think we overlook, take a step back, the children are all around, safe and warm, with the father. They've already been fed, their bellies are full. Who are we in that story? All of us think we're the one knocking. We're not. We're the children safe and warm inside the house. Before, the children of Israel were the ones knocking, like, God, give us provision. God, give us what we need. But now we are the children safe and warm in bed with our Father. He has protected us. He has provided for us. We already have what we need in Him because we are children of God, rooted and established in Him by faith. Because we're predestined he has predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will. To the praise of the glory of his grace, by which he made us accepted in the beloved. You are accepted because he's already paid the price and his grace is in you, where you can cry out, Abba, Father, because you are accepted in him. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. His blood already paid the price. 
your sins are wiped out. Sin is not a factor anymore in your life based on the blood of Christ covering you. Wiped out. Which he made to abound toward us in all wisdom and prudence. His grace abounds to you. Do you need wisdom for something? Do you need provision? Do you need to be wise about a situation? It's already paid for. In James, it talks about any man that asks for wisdom, God gives abundantly. Because who is wisdom? Let's establish that right now. Who is wisdom? Jesus. In the Spirit of the Lord is inside of you. You have all wisdom. It's pretty obvious. You have everything you need. So I went through a time and period in my life where I was really struggling with this concept, and maybe I probably will all my life because everything comes to try to lie to get me to think about something else. But what I was struggling with was understanding like what Jesus already paid for. And every time I would go to the Lord and say, God, I just really would love to work, or I would love to be able to speak the words of life, I'd love to like, I don't know, have a, a word of knowledge or something every once in a while. God, it's in your Bible. I just really wish I could do that. And then, or I'd say, God, I really wish I could lay hands on the sick and they'd be healed. Man, Jesus. You know, every once in a while I see it, but man, I just, God, I just wish that I could walk in this life and, and not stumble into the same sins over and over again. Why do I get angry with my kids? Why do I have wrong thoughts? What's the deal? And you know what God said to me every time in that season? For like a year, he would say, you already have exactly what you need. You have everything you need. And when he came to me and he told me, I've invested the kingdom in you. I've given you a lot. You have a responsibility to do something with what you've been given. He says, and I am a shrewd businessman. I've invested in you, and I'm a shrewd businessman. I expect my reward. Okay. So then he backed that up by saying, you have everything you need. What do you need? Him. He's already inside of us. We have everything we need. So if that's true, why do we struggle? Why do we still have areas of need? You know, life presents challenges. Life presents things, it brings things to us that we cannot deal with on our own. Because we weren't meant to. This world's broken. Like sin came in, it broke the world from what it was supposed to be. And now we have an enemy. Now we have animals that'll eat you alive. Now we have raging seas that'll capsize a boat and kill you. Now we have sin and death. Why? Because it came and the world's broken. But he knows that there's going to be things that come against you. He knows that the enemy's going to come and lie to you. He's going to try to steal from you. He's going to try to take your very life if he can. He says that he's a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Who can he devour? Is it those who are weak in body? Is it those who, can he devour those who are praying every day? Sure. 
Can he devour those who are reading the word every day? Yes, he can. But why? Who is it really that he is able to devour? Those who, whose thoughts say, oh, the enemy's going to devour me. Oh, I just, I really, oh, I just really got to press in because I really feel like the devil's going to try to devour me and I can't, I can't take it and he's going he's gonna to take me out. It's not about, how do I say this properly? It's not about what sin comes against you causes something in you. It's about what are you allowing your mind to think about? Am I focused on the sin, hoping that I won't sin because I'm focused on the sin? Or am I focused on Christ and sin isn't a factor because it's already paid for? Now, it doesn't mean I'm not going to stumble and do something wrong. Christ walked that way. And it's Christ in me. But the only way I'm going to walk that life is if I'm walking in the mind of Christ. If I'm walking focused on Him. And when I stumble and stop looking at Him, going off to the right or to the left, the repentance is coming back to the place where I'm focused on, focusing on Him where I have the mind of Christ, where I see sin in its proper place, that it's not a factor because Christ paid for it. Okay. Having made known to us, the mystery, verse 9, having made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in us. You know what the mystery is? I spent years trying to figure out what the mystery was. It's pretty simple. We all get the gospel, and we're not Jewish. Well, I don't know if you're Jewish or not, but we all get to be spiritual Israel because Christ paid the price for us too, us Gentiles. That in the dispensation of the fullness of the times, he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth in him. In his prayer that he presented to the saints, Jesus said that it might be on earth as it is in heaven. He wants those things of heaven, he, excuse me, he wants the things of earth to, to look like the things in heaven because he's bringing his kingdom here. How's he doing that? Through you. You are the kingdom of heaven on the earth. That in this, okay, in him also we have obtained an inheritance being predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. So he sits around and talks to himself and says, this is what I want. I predestined my children to do good works according to my will, that we who first trusted in Christ should be to the praise of his glory. In him you also trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory. Now keep your finger in Ephesians, if you can. Turn over to Romans 8. I only have one set of fingers, so I can't do both. I'm going to have to flip back to it, sorry. In Romans 8, uh, it says... Verse 12, it says, Therefore, brethren, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. 
But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God, and joint heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. Where is it? All right. So in here... verse 28 says, we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he predestined, these he also called. Whom he called, these he also justified. And whom he justified, these he also glorified. What then shall we say? If God is for us, guys know this one. He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? Do you know who brings a charge against God's elect? Hold it. It says, who shall? It's a question saying, no one can. You know why we think the, the accuser of their brethren can bring a charge against us? It's because that's what we've told each other. Yeah, he goes and he tries to bring an accusation. He doesn't bring it to the throne of God. God took care of that. He says, no more, Satan. No more. He brings accusation to try to whisper in your ears. He tries to say, hey, you're not good enough. You're never going to do the right thing. You're full of sin. You can't walk this life. You can't be like Christ. What are you talking about? Get your eyes on me and stop thinking about that Savior garbage. That's what he says. He comes and he brings accusation. He says, you know what? You were watching that TV show the other night. And you knew you should have turned it off. But you didn't. And now, think about what you're thinking about. See what's in your mind? Yeah, you got these corrupted thoughts because you were watching that TV show. And all the while you're going, man, I was watching that TV show and now I'm thinking about what that lady did or what that guy did or how that thing was blowing up or whatever. Your mind, it's stuck because there's a prevailing thought that's coming in and trying to wreck your mind. Why? Because he can't accuse you before the Father anymore. So he comes to you and says, I'll try it here. I'm going to try to find a weakness where I can get in, where I can have a stronghold in this person. And where does he attack? Sometimes he attacks the flesh. We get pains. Sometimes those things just come naturally from age or overdoing it or whatever it may be. And sometimes he attacks through the flesh. But for the most part, he comes to get our minds off of Christ. He knows if he can get us distracted that he can try to devour us. If God is for us, 
Who can be against us? God declares it right there. Who can be against us? No one. So why is it we stumble? Why is it we get stuck in things? Why is it we have prevailing thoughts that try to take over? Because it's a battlefield of the mind. Our soul is the battlefield. Our mind, will, our emotions are the battlefield. And if we don't take captive every thought, then those thoughts can run astray and run awry in our mind and lead us into places we shouldn't be going. I'm led by my thoughts. Instead of taking captive those thoughts and leading them, putting them at the foot of Christ and saying, God, thank you that I am free from sin. Thank you that, yeah, I heard this thought come that said I was watching that TV show and yeah, I messed up, but God, thank you that that thing doesn't lead me. It doesn't rule my life. I have authority over that in the name of Jesus. Thank you. Easier said than done. I think the problem is we are so used to believing that every thought that comes through our mind is ours. Did you know? It's actually, and maybe there's more, there's at least three thoughts that come into your mind. There's those thoughts that you have which are inspired by God. They come from your spirit and enter your soul. You choose what to do with them. You can think on those things. You can continue in those things. You can build that seed into a tree that grows and bears fruit. That's an inspired word of God. There's thoughts, that, normal everyday thoughts, that our flesh, our soul comes up with on its own. These are our thoughts. And usually they're led by whatever's in our heart at that time. And then there's another type of thought, which I hadn't thought about before. <laughs> Actually, I had. But I had anyway. Um, these thoughts are thoughts that come from the little liar, the little demons that try to speak to us, or even demons from other people, or bad negative thoughts from other people. These thoughts come and try to invade our mind, and they sound like our thoughts. You ever notice how when God speaks to you, it sure sounds like your own voice, and you get a little confused, like, is that me or is that God? Is that me or is that God? Is that me or is that God? It happens to me all the time. <laughs> Actually, it used to. Not so much anymore, but sometimes. It's the same thing with the enemy. He comes and tries to speak to us, and we think it's our own thoughts. And when we have these thoughts, we get all guilt, shame, and condemned, and riddled with, like, oh, why am I having these thoughts all the time? But you know what? It's because it's not your thought. It becomes your thought when you accept it. If we don't take captive those thoughts and go, wait a minute, whose thought is this? This isn't my thought. This isn't God's mind. What are you doing here? Give it to the pit of hell. We've got to take captive every thought. Our thought life will rule us. Or we can rule over it. <clears throat> but the only way we do that is by God's grace. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? No one. He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? How many things do you have in Christ? What do you have in Christ? Do you have anything in Christ? 
You have everything in Christ. All things. He's given us all things. Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? Nobody, because it's God that justifies. <laughs> and who's God listening to? It already said previous verses in Ephesians. He, or maybe it was Romans. I don't remember. He makes counsel with himself. He's not listening to what your heart's saying in that regard. Yeah, he hears your heart, but he's not listening to what your heart's saying about yourself. He's not listening to the devil. He's not listening to other people who are accusing you. He's not listening to everybody. He's making counsel with himself. His thoughts for you are like the grains of the sand, and therefore you're good. So then, if it's God who justifies, then what are you? The answer is in the question. You are justified because God says you're justified. Who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died and furthermore is also risen, who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us. Christ is making intercession for you because he's thinking about you all the time, because he loves you so much. He died on the cross so that you would get it, so that you would see clearly, so that you would have the remission of your sins. And he makes intercession for us as he did on earth. He said, Father, these are yours. You gave these to me and not one of them will be taken out of my hand because who can be taken out of the hand of Almighty God? No one. In this very famous verse, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Who? No one. no one. The only way that I can separate myself from Christ's love, not that his love ever stopped or that he's ever loving it, not loving me, but how can I separate myself from his love? It's all a battlefield of the mind. If I don't think he loves me, then I walk in such a life that says God doesn't love me. If I don't think he's for me, then I walk in such a way that I think God is not for me. Oh man, this happened today, and man, I, I tripped and fell this morning, I banged up my knee, and then, oh, and then, and then I, I got in the car, and as I was driving down the road, I, I hit a bird, and it was terrible, and, and I went to work, and all my co-workers, they, just pretend, they act like they don't like me, and I just... Man, God, I wish God was for me. I wish he loved me more. God, I, I just need your love right now. Here's the thing. You don't need God's love because you already have it. You just need to be reminded that you have it. Let's define repentance for a minute. Repentance in the Greek means literally to change one's direction, right? Right? In a fuller definition, it means literally that we are taking our thoughts, which are down here, and putting them back into the high place in God. We're aligning our mind with Christ. When we think the way he is, does, we're walking in the mind of Christ. To repent is to take your eyes off of sin, take your eyes off of whatever distracted you off of God, and put them back on Jesus where they belong. And if you walk in a place where your eyes are focused on him, you can't see anything else but him. So when I look at Cece, I see Jesus. 
When I speak words of life to Cece, it's because I'm speaking out of Christ into Christ. And she is receiving the, those words because they are the mind of Christ. If I'm focused on sin, let me go back a little bit. This is important. <clears throat> Romans 8. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh, God did by sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh on account of sin. He condemned sin in the flesh. Boom. That sin was up on the cross on Jesus for you, for me. That the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. So what's he saying? Get your mind on the Spirit. For in the Spirit is light. It's going to say that here in a second. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. For to be carnally minded is amazing. No? Yeah, it doesn't say that. To be carnally minded is so much more fun, right? We've got to be carnally, carnally minded. So it's Oh, you're shaking your heads. No. Weird. Okay. Oh, here it is. For to be carnally minded is death. Everybody looks at us Christians and they go, well, how are you going to have any fun if you're stuck in that religious church? They don't understand. They're dying. They think they're having fun because it's all an illusion. It's like a carnival game. They think they're going to get the big stuffed animal at the end of this thing, but all they're going to get is hell. <clears throat> because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, nor indeed can it be. So then those who are in the flesh cannot please God. But you are not in the flesh, this is Paul reminding him, you're not in the flesh. You're not in the flesh. Maybe you're acting like you're in the flesh. Maybe you're walking, thinking you're in the flesh, but you're not. Put your minds on Christ so you can see where you really are. He is the reality. You are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. Now, show of hands, how many of you have the Spirit of God living inside of you. Okay? If the Spirit of God dwells in your mortal bodies, it says this later, but I'm jumping ahead. But if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. He's telling you, if you've given your life to Him, his spirit lives inside of you. I skipped over some verses. And I got to read them. Keep having to come back. And if Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the spirit is life because of righteousness. But if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you. He says, if. But then he says, hold on. Verse 9. You are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. Now, if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he is not his. And if Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin. 
Is Christ in you? Have you given your heart to the Lord? If you have not, if you have not, all it takes is changing your mind and saying, you know what? I was wrong. I do need you, God. Holy Spirit, Jesus, I want you to live inside of me because I don't want to live struggling in this life anymore. And if you're a Christian, you probably have said something along those lines. But where I think we get lost is our mind gets bombarded all the time with these lies from the enemy that try to tell us that we are not his. They try to tell us that we still have to struggle with sin. We don't have to struggle with sin. He already paid the price. We walk in righteousness. We walk as righteous people. We don't walk as sinners. We were sinners. We are saved. Does that mean that we're going to walk a perfect life and sin's never going to entangle us again? Well, I hope so, but what that means is if I have my mind on Christ and I keep my mind there and then I fall off that mindset and I go get back entangled with sin, I know that I have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous, who has paid the price for my sin. And all I need to do is say, God, I am forgiven. Thank you. I am forgiven. I'm putting my mind back on you. I'm so sorry that I got my mind on something else besides you. And I'm repenting now to align my thoughts with Christ. Okay. Back to Ephesians. Ephesians, Ephesians, Ephesians. Chapter 2. Chapter 2, verse 1 says, And you he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins. Isn't that cool? In which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, in other words, Satan, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as the others. Those who are of this world have their minds stuck on the things of this earth because they came from the earth, and that's where their mind dwells. I was there once. You were there once. That's not where we live right now. We live in a place where our minds Our spirits have come alive in Christ. We are alive in him. He wants to to wake us up to that reality that we are his and that we don't have to walk according to the ways of this world. And once you once walked in the power of the air, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind and were by nature children of wrath, just as the others. But God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love, he did it because he loves you, with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ by grace, you have been saved. Sozo. That's a word which means you are completely changed. You've been made into a new creation. Your mind, your, your spirit, You have been made alive. You have been saved and raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. There's a high place which we can go in him and live and dwell and rest in him. 
Verse 7, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, and it's free. It's a free gift. It's been given by his grace. I am. Not of works, lest anyone should boast. That's a key verse. It's pretty small. This says it's not of works lest anyone should boast. We have nothing to boast about but Christ our Lord and what he's doing. For we are his workmanship. Workmanship. I see like a clock, like a beautiful clock, and there's this worker working on these little pieces, and he's putting everything together. We are his workmanship. He works on us diligently. He seeks to completely, he continues to renew us and the only way to completely walk in this is to allow that renewing and open our minds up to what Christ is giving us, what he's doing in us and refining through us. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And this is where I will close. If we are his workmanship. See, this whole Ephesians, the whole thing talks about everything that was in the beginning, which was being a son walking out of sonship or daughter. Anyway, it talks about that throughout the book of Ephesians. It has one verse that centers in and says, where is workmanship? We're created to do good works. You know why everything else talks about being a son or daughter? Because once you're aligned with the mind of Christ, the works flow out of that. Once you have your mind on Christ... Once you know who you are, once you know what the price that's been paid is, once you know what he's done, out of that will flow an abundance. He already knows the works are going to come. He's not going to focus on, here's what you got to do. There's little pointers in here, here and there. There's things where Paul points out stuff he's done. Christ showed us by his example walking on the earth. But he knows that if we know who we are, out of that abundance will flow the goodness of God and people will see it and they will come unto the Lord. So, in closing, I would say get your minds on the mind of Christ so that you can live a free life, so, so that you can walk sin-free. Don't get caught up on that. That doesn't mean perfection. We have not yet attained. We have not yet been perfected. That means we might align our minds with Christ. And out of that, the world shall be saved. Okay. Father, I thank you so much for your goodness, for your kindness towards us. God, that you paid the ultimate price that we might receive this free gift, that we might have your word living in us, that the rhema word of life, inspired word of God, would live in our hearts and speak through our mouths and that you would come and refine us into your image, God, that we would look like you because it's Christ in us, the hope of glory. I thank you, God, that you've given your son, that he was the price that was paid. I thank you, God, for each person here. I ask, God, that this message, these words, would saturate their thought life, that they would start, they would continue, or that they would press in to what you're saying, Lord, that we are free children of God. I ask for just that you would reinforce this, God.
we do take captive every thought, God. We are your children, and I thank you so much that you paid the price for that. God, I ask for a blessing on each life, provision. I rebuke the devourer in Jesus' name because I stand in the authority of Christ saying, you shall not touch God's elect. They are your children, God. And we thank you for them. In Jesus' name, amen.